Yeah, good morning, church. Uh, standing on that chair, I just told Austin, was the most embarrassing thing I've ever had to do in church. I literally hated every mo- part of that moment. Um, well, hey, let me pray for you guys. Pray for us. Pray for me as we just sit under God's word. And uh, yeah, just look to Jesus together. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you love us so much that you would send your son, Jesus, to earth to be with us. And as we sit under your word in Hebrews 4, I pray that we would all leave this church this morning with more reverence for you, more awe and more joy in Christ Jesus. Spirit, fill us and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, one of the authors that I read most of, uh, which honestly isn't saying much, uh, but his name is Tim Keller, and so Austin, being a good friend, a good pastor, uh, last week he sent me an article by Tim Keller. He said, hey, read this. He knows my love language, so I was like, of course, I'm going to read this. I love Tim Keller. Read it, and it stuck out to me, this story, how beautiful and profound it is. Uh, in this article, Tim Keller, he's writing about a time that he went to the hospital and he got an x-ray, and he had a conversation with the x-ray technician, and during the conversation, the x-ray technician He told him that over his entire profession, he's always treated his patients really harshly. Um, He would put them on that table, the cold table, and he would say to them, put this lead apron on. I need you to hold this here. I need you to do what I say. I need you to pay attention. We got stuff to get done, so just listen to me. There's not much of a warm relationship there, but he's just kind of batting them around to get done what needs to be done. And then one day, this x-ray technician, he got a kidney stone. And so what did he do? He went to the hospital. And then what did the people at the hospital do? They put him on the table. And while he's on the table, what did they do to him? They batted him around. They were super demanding. They made him do this and that. And this x-ray technician, he told Tim Keller that in that moment, it struck him that since then, he he decided that he will never treat one of his patients like that ever again. And why is that? Because the x-ray technician has been on the table. And isn't that Advent? That the God who created the universe has been on the table. It's the shock and the awe that God came to us through his son, Jesus Christ, trading riches in heaven for rags on earth, trading a throne for a manger to be with us, to be our great high priest who gets us. That he is the God who is on the table just like us. And that's what our church uh, gathered together. That's what we're going through in a three-week series on Jesus' Advent. What is Advent? Um, It is that God came to dwell with his people through his son, Jesus Christ, and that this is a time for our church to prepare our hearts and to celebrate. And so last week, Austin, he showed us that the infinite became infant from John 1. I know we're all blessed from that sermon. And then Friday, which is Christmas Eve already, uh, which is crazy. We'll have two gatherings, and we'll be looking at the creator and created no longer separated, Emmanuel, from Matthew 1. And so today, this in-between week, will be in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. And we're going to see the importance that the maker became man. 
that he has been on the table just like us. That the babe Jesus, he grew into stature and eventually became the great high priest. Um, If there was like a sermon in a sentence, just something that you guys could leave and have uh, on your brains, it's that Jesus is the high priest that we all need and long for. So Jesus is the high priest that we all need and actually long for. Um, And there's kind of two working parts throughout the passage that I hope draw that out for us. The first one is hold fast, for he's the high priest that we all need. Okay. The second one is draw near, for he's the high priest that we all long for. So that's where we're going. Let's open our Bibles together to Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, if you haven't, just so that we can all see what God's word is saying, that we can put our finger on the text and make sure that I'm not just saying a bunch of gibberish, but that we actually see what it's saying. So part one, hold fast, for he's the high priest we all need. Let's read uh, verses 14 and 15 together. Hebrews 4. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, so what does pass through the heavens mean? It means that Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's gone up, and he's sitting at God's right hand. He's there on our behalf always. And who is doing it? Who is the great high priest? The text says that it's Jesus, the Son of God. So the high priest is the human Jesus. It's the maker who became man Jesus, the divine son of God Jesus, our precious friend Jesus. He is our high priest. And it tells us then to let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast, cling tightly to, keep dearly, remind daily of our confession. That confession is the receiving and believing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is our great high priest. Verse 15, 4. And now verse 15 here is an anchor for verse 14. It stabilizes verse 14. It tells us, this 4 here goes on to tell us the why we should hold fast to our confession. That verse 14 tells us. And this is timely for us because if you're like me, I can go further and ask the question, is is Advent really that big of a deal? Like, does it really matter? And why should I hold fast to Jesus? Because to be honest, after I started following Jesus, life actually got a little bit harder, right? More suffering came. So why would I hold fast? Well, verse 15, it tells us this. Look at it with me. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, not two in every respect, not seven in every respect, not multiple gods, but one, one singular great high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the great high priest that we all need. One who is a human, one who's been on the table, one who embraced all that humanity brings and faltered not even once. More about that uh, in a second. I promise we'll unpack it. It's beautiful, but first uh, we might begin to think, well, what is a high priest? What in the world is that? Maybe people at home, you're already Googling, what is a high priest? Uh, I started wondering that. We're on the same page. Bounce our eyes to Hebrews 5. Uh, verses 1 through 5, it actually tells us. Just bounce your eyes right down, Hebrews 5. I'll read 1 through 3. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men 
is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So, one through three, it tells us that a normal high priest that we see throughout the Old Testament is three things. Super simple. One, they're a representative of the people. Because they themselves are human, they just represent the humans, the other people. Two, they're a mediator between all of the people and God. A mediator is actually necessary because the people of the Old Testament, and just like us, have all rebelled against God. Like we actually stand guilty before the God who created us to be in perfect relationship with him. And because of that, the relationship is severed. We need a mediator to be made right with God, which is the third thing that the normal high priest uses. So they're representative, they're mediators, and the third thing is that they offer gifts and sacrifices to God for sins. For who? For themselves and for all of the people over and over and over and over and over again. We begin to see the difference between them and Jesus already. We see here that the normal high priests of the Old Testament were not great. Uh, As custom, there was a day called the Day of Atonement. They would go into the temple, and then inside the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. They would go into there, and while there, catch this, the high priest would actually confess their own sins, and then they would confess the sins of all the people of Israel, and then after that, they would make sacrifices for their own sins, and then they would make sacrifices for the sins of the people, and then after that, they would leave the Holy of Holies hoping that it went well. These normal high priests, they had their own sin. Just like the people, they too were faced with trials and temptations that life brings. And just like the people, they caved. They gave in. They actually turned away from a good God often. In other words, they're a faulty representative and a faulty mediator. Because their sins are many, they could not constantly intercede for the people because they had to take care of their own wrongdoing beforehand. And here's the catch. Because our sins, our sins are much, are many against God. We are in need of someone who always, always, always stands between us and God. Who is always standing in our place. And in that tension comes Advent. Hebrews 5 verse 5 tells us this. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him. Who is that? God the Father. Appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Advent. The maker became man. God came to be with us on the table. Jesus is the human who can represent us. Jesus is the mediator who can be fully with God, interceding to him on our behalf at all times. And the third thing, get this, Jesus is absolutely perfect, completely unlike all the other high priests. Looking back at Hebrews 4.15, tells us this, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect 
look at this, has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus is the only one who is perfect because he's God. Jesus, the one who has been tempted as we are, was completely without sin. Uh, another favorite author of mine is C.S. Lewis. I have way too many of his books. I have a chapter or a bookmark in chapter three. Uh, some of you guys might relate with me. It's brutal. I never make it through books. Uh, but in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, he has this illustration. It's actually towards the end of the book. I didn't read it, but I found it online. It was great. Uh, Mere Christianity. It's amazing. Page 142. I got to like 30. But we're here, okay? Has this quote. It's amazing. Catch this. No one knows, he says this, no one knows how bad they are until they have tried very hard to be good. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And in one of the most astonishing moments in the Gospels, um, I think at least you can take that for what it is, comes in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I just want you to flip to the left to Matthew 4. I want you to put a bookmark right there, and I want you to read the whole uh, 1 through 11 on your own to just take it in sometime. But Matthew 4, 1 through 11, we see Jesus, no longer a little boy who's respectfully listening to his mom or just running around the house helping his dad Joseph with carpentry projects, but we see this grown Jesus, the maker who grew into being a man. We see the grown Jesus go head into the wind that C.S. Lewis is talking about. We see him be tempted by Satan himself three different times in Matthew 4. Right before Jesus kicks off his earthly ministry, he's faced with immense temptation. Where Adam and Eve quickly gave in to the serpent's deceit in Genesis 3. Where you and I quickly give in to temptation daily. We see Jesus quickly deny Satan's schemes with scripture. Jesus is the one person who walked against the wind and did not lie down. Jesus is the representative of us all. He's the perfect mediator for us. Due to his perfection, Jesus can and is constantly 24-7 interceding for us on our behalf before the Father, reminding him that we're under his grace. He's not just going to the temple and to the Holy of Holies once a year like the high priest did in the Old Testament. But as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the very Son of God, is passing through the heavens, going directly to the Father on our behalf. And in his perfection, amazingly, get this, Jesus is the final sacrifice. Instead of being like all the other high priests, who made sacrifices for the sins over and over and over again. Jesus himself was the sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12 tells us that every other high priest of the Old Testament repeatedly offers the same sacrifices which could never fully pay the price for sin. But Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. 
come into earth and go into the cross, Jesus is the great high priest that makes himself the final sacrifice once and for all. And so, church family, hold fast to him. Hold fast. Well, Justin, what does that mean? That sounds like some good Christian lingo. What the heck does hold fast mean? Well, for me to make it personal, I just want to share what it's like for me to not hold fast to Jesus, being my great high priest. It usually means one of two things, and most often I'm doing both of them, if I'm honest. But the first one is that I'm slowly drifting away from the very word of God. Uh, Like my eyes are leaving the pages and going to people's approval of me, how incredible it is the amount of times that I've failed, how I just wish other people would change to make me happier. And, I, and I'm not saying that uh, when I'm reading my Bible that doesn't happen, but it's increased. You know what I'm saying? It's increased. And then like the C.S. Lewis illustration explains, the wind, a big gust comes at me and boom, I'm down on the ground. I lie down, I don't resist, I cave. And my slow drift away from God's word has now turned into a near neglect of it, which goes into number two. The second thing that I'm doing often is I'm putting the pressure on myself to prove it to God that I'm worth his time. Uh, My story, it might be uh, like some of yours, but I've never met my biological father. And so sometimes, not always, but sometimes because of this, I feel like I have to prove to God that I'm worth him not leaving me, that I'm worth it to him. I don't want him to leave me. That pain stays with me. And so what do I do? I try to earn his favor. The extraordinary work of Christ is forgotten and my subpar attempts are elevated only to disappoint me time and time again. When I don't hold fast to Jesus, I give into the strong wind. Heck, I give into a breeze. And so we must remind each other of Hebrews 4, 14 through 15, to hold fast to Jesus. And in light of this, we might begin to see that Jesus is not only the high priest that we all need and are to hold fast to, but actually he's the high priest that we all long for. That deep down to our core, if I gave you a blank sheet of paper right now, with some pens or crayons, whatever you like, and I asked you to write down what you want from a high priest. You would write down traits that Jesus has. You would write down the person of Jesus. So part two, draw near, for he's the high priest that we actually long for. Uh, Turn our eyes to verse 15 again. Uh, We're going to see this time, we're going to focus on the first half of verse 15. Uh, We wrung out the second half. Let's focus on the First half, it says 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what kind of high priest do we long for? Well, one who can and does sympathize with us in our weaknesses, in our stumbling blocks, in our most common mistakes, one who doesn't stiff-arm us away because of our flaws, one who isn't removed from our pain, but one who is with us and, in effect, sympathizes with us. Because why? Get this. He gets us. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland, which I actually finished this book, okay? I actually finished it. It's a good one. I had 10 guys help me finish it, but I did it. Okay? 
It's like one of three books I've ever fully read. Gentle and Lowly, Dane Orland. Uh, he's drawn out the heart of Christ, and he says this. The reason that Jesus is in such solidarity with us is that the difficult path we are on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. It is not only that Jesus can relieve us from our troubles, like a doctor prescribing medicine. It is also that before any relief comes, before any relief comes, he is with us in our troubles like a doctor who has endured the same disease. Jesus is with us. About five months ago, I got to marry my best friend, Kelsey. Uh, there should be a picture on the TV, is there? Okay. We, we had a deal that I couldn't smash cake in her face, and the deal was that we could only, she could only smash it in mine. So that's what we did. Um, it was a blast. But about five months ago, we got married. And about five months ago, we also both started working at the church here together doing college ministry. And so if you caught that, if you're quick, Kelsey and I are both married and coworkers. Okay, we uh, like to tell people, this is the quick line we like to say is that we share an apartment and a desk. Um, and so we spend a lot of time together. Pray for Kelsey. And I mean that. Like, I actually pray for her. We spend a lot of time together. If you're wondering, we love it. We even like it. Uh, but being together as husband and wife for five months and coworkers for five months, it helps us to relate to one another in a unique way that no other relationship on the planet could relate to. Uh, like, we see each other's joys and hardships. Uh, the exciting and hard moments in a workday, we experience it together. The funny and the tense moments at home, we experience it together. And because of that, this marriage, coworker, shared experience, it brings deeper sympathy for what the other person is going through. Like the physical rings on our finger, they don't do that. But it's the oneness, the withness that we have together that grow us into deep sympathy for the other person. And that's Advent. It's saying what no other religion can claim, that God came to be with us, that the maker became man, experienced everything we have, and even to a higher degree. Have we been betrayed, broken, and lonely? Absolutely. And so was he. Jesus is the great high priest who has experienced it all. How often do we long for someone, just one person, to get us to be with us. And in that heartache, we see that Jesus is exactly who we long for. He's the great high priest who is not aloof to our pain. His heart beats sympathy for us, for you. And so in response, read verse 16 here with me. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Where Jesus traded the throne in heaven for a manger on earth in the scandalous move from maker to man, he does so in order for us to draw near, to approach, to go towards the throne of grace. Verse 15 catapults us into verse 16, telling us that because or since Jesus has been with us, like down in the dirt with us, getting us in the trials and temptations and hardship, when it's not relieved yet, we are to draw near. 
See, God's throne, because of his son, is welcoming us, us, weak and feeble sinners. We can approach the throne of an undefeated king. And in the light of Jesus being our great high priest interceding for us, what are we met with? The text said, not what I expected it to say. I expected rejection or rebuke or more frustration from God. But the text says that we receive mercy and grace for what? To help us. And when? In a time of need. If you're anything like me or my wife and I and our marriage coworker, right, babe, we have seen just how deeply we need mercy and grace to help us in times of need. I think a lot of people can attest to that. Trials and temptations, they come roaring at us. And Satan is wanting us to crumble and go anywhere except the throne of grace. That inkling that you have to not go to God, that I have to not go near to God, is Satan's great attempt to keep us from him. But the story of Advent begs us to respond differently. It begs us to draw near, to receive mercy and grace. Mercy not getting the punishment that we rightly deserve, namely hell. God's righteous judgment concerning our treason against him. We don't get it. Grace, receiving what we absolutely don't deserve or couldn't ever possibly earn, namely eternal fellowship with God forever because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, church family, to close, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we're reminded of one, that the one that we long for is the very one that we need. Jesus has been on the table. Like, he gets us. He gets you. And he's interceding for us at this very moment. Not when Sunday is done and we leave. Not when uh, it's just going well. But at this very moment, he's interceding for us. Because he's the one that we need, may we not loosen our grip on the right confession that he is the great high priest. Let us help each other to shout it to our hearts in the dark and lonely moments. And because he's the one that deep down we long for, may we together confidently draw near to the throne of God where we are brought in and not pushed away. Let me pray for us.